This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Vogue. Hey, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. How, who do we have on the 3D Pod today? Well, we've got Ankush Venkatesh, uh, and he's with Glidewell Dental. And people are like, who, what is Glidewell Dental? Well, Glidewell Dental is, well, it's a dental laboratory, but I think I, I'm selling them a little bit short there. Definitely selling them short there because they're doing some really pioneering work on 3D printing. And uh, and about automating and about like by, uh, essentially building their whole software supply chain for three D printing, and they have they use over four hundred three uh, D printers uh, in their <laughs> to make in their dental uh, lab. So it's an insane amount of systems and it's an insane it amount is. of work they've been doing. And uh, Ankush was at uh, Added Manufacturing Strategies, and I loved uh, his talk there. So yeah, I thought it'd be great to have him on. Thank you, thank you, thanks, Joris. Thanks, Max, for uh, for having me. Um, yeah, I, 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 it was great meeting you, Joris, at uh, at, at AM Strategies, and uh, and I mean, you say you enjoyed my talk, but you you were moderating that, so you, I think you deserve yeah. a good amount of the credit. So, <laughs> okay, I like I probably just like listening to my own voice. That's, that's uh, probably it. <laughs> but um, so first, and that's off, why I'm here today. Same with me. <laughs> right. So listen, yeah, we can all listen to Joris's voice. Welcome to podcasting. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Um, but um, I was anxious, like, first of all, a little bit about your personal journey. Like, like, when did you first come into contact with 3D printing? How did you end up in this uh, neck of the woods? Yeah. Um, so I mean, my background's in mechanical engineering. Um, so, so I think, you know, um, back, back when I was, um, I think it was kind of um, maybe early days of undergrad uh, was when I came across it. It, it was, um, you know, one of those prototyping methods. And then that was around the time where um, a lot of that open source revolution around Europe had really kind of picked up. And this was maybe a few years before the 2013, 2014, um, you know, media um, frenzy. So, so that was a kind of around the time where a lot of, you know, makers were getting into it. And, and um, you know, I, I happened to get you know, into a few maker communities and, and kind of um, got introduced to, to, to new CAD tools uh, through that. And I think, um, you know, the first first thing that kind of really got me hooked was was when, uh, you know, obviously I ended up 3D printing something for, for like my family. It's something broke around the house and, you know, as, as the engineer, I had to step in. And, uh, <laughs> and I think that was like the quickest return on investment on any engineering degree I've had in my family's eyes. So, so I think that was, uh, that, that was something that, that was like a really good, um, you know, way to kind of <laughs> really quickly show the value there. But, but yeah, I mean, so since then I've just been kind of um, obsessed and, and uh, very, very interested both in the consumer as well as. Um, what, what, what did, what did you print? Um, I think, yeah, I think it? it was like a, a, a replacement handle for like a refrigerator that my grandparents had bought like maybe a few decades ago. So there was no way to get, you know, spare parts mm -hmm. or anything like that. And I think, yeah, it was just like a two or three part assembly um, to that would fit yeah. like one of the screws already on, on the door. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty simple, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was effective. <laughs> That's yeah. cool. And also, like, you should tell the European Union, they love this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. All about it. yeah, yeah, yeah. They would yeah. give you millions. <laughs> oh, my God, refrigerator doors? Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, Apple recently folded, right, uh, in, in Europe. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so first tell us a little bit about, about Glidewell. So what is like Glidewell Dental is, well, I think most, un, I think unknown to a bunch of additive folks, I think. So so tell us a little bit about the, the company. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think um, I kind of bring an interesting perspective to the way I answer that question, because I've only been at Glidewell and in the dentist and in dental industry for six months. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm well aware of what it's like to not be too familiar with the industry. So, yeah, so um, so Glidewell is one of the uh, the largest dental labs in the world. I think by volume, we are probably the largest by volume, meaning uh, just the amount of uh, the number of, you know, d- devices and products that we make. Um, uh, so essentially, a, a dental lab is is somewhat is, you know, an entity that's going to make um, any products or, or devices that a, a dentist needs, then that either the dentist chooses not to make themselves, or they just, you know, maybe don't have access to specific manufacturing machinery or, uh, you know, kind of scale that we have here, um, or even, you know, skilled technicians, some some dental offices or some dentist offices rather are, you know, just uh, one to two people. Larger ones are, of course, uh, you know, teams of tens and hundreds. And um, and yeah, so so we're one of the largest, um, you know, dental labs, and and we focus primarily on restorative products. So you know, crowns and bridges, um, and and then also we we have a, a lot of devices in the preventative space. So um, you know, night guards, um, bite splints, um, NTI, which are migraine devices. Um, I think that's one of the few FDA approved. Um, like solutions for migraine. Um, it, it, it's kind of a like a mouth guard, but it just releases some tension on on one of the uh, the muscles in the upper jaw. But uh, but yeah, I so that, I didn't know that even existed. And then and then what? You get less headache <laughs> because of yeah, that, yes. So apparently, oh, because tightening jaws and stuff. Yeah, and and this was new to me as well. So, but I was fascinated oh. by it. But apparently, one of the most common. Uh, triggers or like reasons for migraines are people uh, clenching kind of too hard or clench, clenching for larger amounts of time without kind of realizing. And mm-hmm. so on, uh, it kind of puts um, pressure on that, on that muscle, which is always kind of clenched on the side, like right below your, you know, where your sideburns are. And I think it's the, the maxillofacial, um, no, your transmaxillar um, muscle, I forget. But, um, mm-hmm. but essentially what this mouthpiece does is just, it, it puts in a little bit of distance between the, the top um, arch and the bottom arch of your teeth. And what that is able to do is release some of that pressure on the muscle. And so, um, yeah, this is this, apparently, this is like a really effective um, way to you know, mitigate migraines and kind of relax a lot of that pressure. And, and it's something you can wear during the day, but also at, at, at night, you know, because that's when a lot of the, um, uh, when you're asleep, if, you, if it's uh-huh. a habit, then that's something that's really hard to control. Okay, and that's, that's is cool. that patient specific as well? Yeah, hundred percent. All of that is all of those devices. So everything that we three D print in in that space, like the night guards and the bite splints, those are all um, uh, patient specific and one hundred percent customized. So the the design of that product depends on the geometry of the patient's tooth that we're getting either as part of a physical dental impression, so that you know just the um, the the polymer glue that they kind of bite into and then send that tray over. Or it's an intraoral scan, which is done at a dentist's office. Uh-huh. So, for that, for those two things, like um, if if you're getting a bite guard, for example, you then you're 3D scanning it with or your own proprietary 3D scanner. Are you using someone else's, or and then you have yeah. to clean it up? <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean. Um... It's a good question. Walk us through the whole thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's a good question. And like I said, you know, as a dental lab, our customers are the dentists. So, um, so that's essentially where, um, pretty much all of our, 
products start. So, so it, it, the the kind of um, integration or the data acquisition at that first stage depends on the dentist. So, if the dentist you know uh, prefers using uh, dental impressions in that material because you know they can they can kind of they're used to that process and they can make sure that the patient's kind of doing it the right way, then that's how we get it. Um, some dentist offices have intraoral scanners. Um, you know. I think there are quite a few scanners out, out there in the market um, and they're kind of gaining popularity as well in terms of adoption. So, uh, you know, there's scanners like Itero and Medit and, um, and yeah, and, and essentially those are just, um, you know, scanners that the, the dentist is going to use to, to make sure that they're capturing um, optically, you know, every aspect of, of the inside of a patient's jaw. And then all of that's converted to, you know, 3D data and then sent over directly to us. So, so when that comes in is electronic, 3D data, it, it can essentially feed into our own, um, you know, case management, um, our design pipeline for how we make some of those products. And then do you have to have an employee look at each file, clean it up somehow, get it ready for production, so to speak? Um, yeah. Um, so, so that's a good question. So for, for some of our products, um, you know, especially with our crown and bridge, uh, most that uh, pretty much all that's done subtractively. Um, so, you know, we have, we have a large amount of automation and, and, manuf and manufacturing here in our um, facility in, in Orange County. A good amount of that is um, the designs are, you know, we, we have our own artificial intelligence and, and neural networks that actually propose the design for these crowns and these bridges based on uh, the geometry and the case and kind of some of the notes that the that the dentist is going to specify. And then in maybe a little less than half the cases, um, that design is usually good to go and then in, it directly gets into our manufacturing queue. And then in the other uh, in the other um, you know scenario, it's it's just going to get reviewed by by maybe a designer or a technician, make sure that um, you know just sanity check the design, make sure manufacturability right. and yeah, and then pass it on to the same queue. So yeah. And that's kind of on the subtractive side, on the uh, on the additive side with, with, you know, some of the devices we were talking about, like the night guards and the bite splints, um, that that is going to get designed by a human uh, and, you know, a, a designer and a technician. Um, but uh, but yeah, even that we have, you know, internal workflows that are kind of able to solve a lot of the the uh, repetitive steps in some of these workflows. So so with the particular product and with the particular type of, you know, incoming scan, we have um, workflows that kind of speed up the process a lot. And, and we're using the human um, kind of for what the human's really good at, you know, making complex decisions based on uh, uncertain data or, or, you know, kind of boundary cases. Uh, the one thing I learned from you that I thought was really exciting and also just really weird is this, it's not, you can't just go to some, there's no standard software solution available for a lab the size of your, your size, right? There's, we have some software for dentals or an individual dentist using one printer, for example, mm -hmm. but you guys don't have like a suite you can buy, right? Yeah, no, no, you're, you're hundred percent right. Um, that, that kind of doesn't exist. And, and some of the, so maybe on the ERP and, you know, uh, the, the case management side, some, so there's maybe some of that on, on the market, uh, especially with, you know, dental service organizations, DSOs kind of offering a lot of that, uh, that tech backend. But, but in terms of what, what I, what we were just talking about in terms of, you know, workflows, in terms of uh, handling actual product manufacturing data, in terms of, um, you know, the, the MES type, um, visibility that you need, there, there, there's almost nothing, which is why a lot of the software functionality that I was just describing is essentially developed all in-house at Glidewell. So, you know, the, um, the, the the CAD and design tools that are used to design these guards, those are all our own in-house software. The, um, the, the manufacturing cloud skeleton is essentially that, that runs that whole um, automation line 
is is developed by us and you know is maintained by us and yeah so it's pretty much all in-house are you guys going to sell that because that would be my next question like (laughs) you know that's not the first time we've been asked that so so yes hopefully soon (laughs) yeah that would be very exciting i think because like everyone else is just either you have to write it yourself uh, which some big firms have done, we know this, but then some of them then keep it for themselves. But then the market, you know, the next guy has to write it themselves as well, you know? You're right, right. Yeah. No, no, I, so, I totally agree. Yeah, that, that's that's an exciting uh, prospect. And I think it's kind of an, an advantage to be able to develop innovation with that particular strategy because then your first customer is yourself. And, you know, it, it's obviously such such less uncertainty, but also you're mm-hmm. able to kind of develop it really fine-tuned to exactly what your need is so that's been helpful and and so what is it okay so the, the walk us through the, the next process so the, the file comes in then it gets cleaned up it gets scanned and then you can kind of put it in an automated kind of rigging type of environment how's it how's it work then from software perspective yeah so do you mean for the subtractor or for the additive well, additive additive we don't care additive. Yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah no so, so for the for the additive um if if we get a physical dental impression, then that's going to be scanned by um, you know a scanner here that we have in house. That's then converted to a three D mesh file. Uh, we're gonna you know designer is gonna clean up that mesh, and then um, based on that mesh, we'll essentially generate. Um, okay, well if this was what the impression was, this is what the patient's jaw looks like, and then based on that, we'll we'll design um, you know uh, the device. We, we have, you know, our own parameters and workflows for that. Um, so if this is, you know, um, this particular type of guard with, uh, with this thickness setting that the dentist has, you know, specifically chosen, um, then we have um, a recommendation that's going to design that. And then the designer is going to make final tweaks and adjustments, make sure it, it fits. Because um, essentially a lot of these guards have to kind of clip on, right? So, so the, um, the exact tolerance there, is something that the designer have to has to kind of really be uh, be careful about because the the geometry of each of the tooth profile can change and kind of the angles at which it goes in. So there's a lot of variables there. But um, yeah, essentially, so that's then going to get designed by um, a skilled technician or designer, sent into the just sent into the, the queue. Essentially, just just we have a bunch of printers and most of them, you know, um, photopolymerization, so DLP and SLA technologies. And yeah, and this is going to get printed, um, then washed, of course, and post cure post cured. And then uh, there's, you know, a couple of different manual steps for for polishing each of those to like the desired level of uh, either translucency or desired level of, um, uh, you know, just the finish and smoothness, because that is something that's going to go into the patient's mouth. For any of that stuff, can you get automation? Because like, for example, for SIA DLP, you know, the amount of contact points you have is, of course, crucial importance. You have to file those down, cut them off. I mean, I know that that so far can't be automated, but are you using automation for these things or is it every single time like people walking around with these uh, doing these, these kind of operations? In terms of the, the automation side of it, most of uh, our initial efforts to automate the, the additive workflows have been on the software side because it saves a lot of the, the time and brings like the most value add. So, so if we're able to automate, you know, uh, being able to recommend some of those designs, if we're able to automate the, the nesting printability, if we're able to automate, um, you know, uh, specific um, recommendations or, or even, um, you know, exporting files into shared folders that are then being um, put into that queue, then that's, that's kind of, you know, already a huge um, saving in, in time and, and human effort. So, so that's where we focus most of our automation on. Um, however, to your point, Joris, there, there is more, um, you know, automation on the, um, on the, in the actual printing 
aspect of it that that is happening in the industry, which is good. A lot of these uh, machine makers are, you know, specifically focusing on building kind of print beds that can be grabbed by cobots and um, just has that kind of uh, modularity to fit in um, an industrial setting. So, so yeah, hopefully soon. And what are the key drivers for you guys? I mean, I think I think you know, is it cost savings? Are you looking at repeatability and stuff? What are the key drivers to to make one of these automation decisions? Uh, one of the primary ones is always repeatability and, and kind of having an engineering process in place. Um, you know, the more you have a technician or, or a skilled technician, rather, it becomes more of an artisan um, step in, in every process, right? And so um, each technician has kind of their, their own personality, their own uh, experiences, their own kind of, um, you know, um, tolerances and in, in, in safety considerations. And so th- that, that's, that's something that becomes hard to, to be able to, you know, standardize and engineer the, the whole process and, and be able to measure, okay, well, this is what our, um, you know, return is, this is what our defect rate is and, and, and those kinds of metrics. So, so I think that's one of the key drivers. And then obviously as a lab, because we're doing things at scale, the, the cost is, is, is always one of the primary ones, but, but it's more because in addition to the cost, the more we're able to vertically integrate and, and have control of that entire process, it, it, it's essentially just, um, you know, giving us all access to all the knobs that we were able to dial in and, you know, um, pretty much get, get the ideal output. What's the time scale that you guys normally deal with? Like if, if I'm a dentist and I send you mm-hmm. a file, how, how quickly can I expect to get back a part? Yeah, um, a mouse guard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's a good question. I mean, it's usually within a few days. Um, you know, unless there's like a, a rush order on on specific cases, um, it's usually in in the ballpark of um, three to five days plus maybe a day on each side for shipping. Um, right. You know, most cases don't spend too long in our in our lab, and and that's kind of how how we like to keep it. And are you guys servicing just the United States right now, or the globe? Or um, yeah, your- we're we're primarily focused in the United States right now. Yeah. Um, uh, we do have some smaller labs in in uh, North America and South America, but yeah, primarily the U.S. And and so if you if you think about this automations part of this, like, what do you guys really need to do? Is it conveyancing? Is it support removal? What's just, what are the things that like are the most painful for you? Yeah, and 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 that's something that you know we've been looking into, Joris. Uh, it's it's an interesting question, and because I mean, while we are manufacturing at scale, the the thing that becomes um, challenging when you go towards automation in some of those physical processes. So whether it's support removal or polishing is that we are dealing with the highest mix possible, right? Every single appliance is essentially different and just meant for one person. So, so when, when those processes kind of have to be, um, you know, designed around such large variations in, in the geometries or, um, kind of profiles that, that are coming in or either being designed, I think that's, that's kind of one of the more, uh, you know, difficult pieces to, to, to solve. I think it's weird that no one's really jumping into that. But then the other problem is in this one, like N is one kind of environment that everything is unique. How do you track something through all these production processes? How do you make sure that, um, uh, that your staffer doesn't like, you know, replace one one with a, the the wrong one, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And and you know that that's something that we've learned from um from just our operations over, over the years on both the additive and the subtractive side. So you know we 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 have our own uh, data matrices and entire um manufacturing kind of um, workflow. And the visualization workflow built on top of that. So we we know uh you know what the case number is and 
based on that case number, we will always be able to point out um, what is the you know what is the product code or the, the QR code for that pros product. Where in the in the chain is that product? Um, you know, is it is it is it on time? Is it does it is it complying to you know our our quality standards and does it need to be scrapped? And so, so a lot of that. Yeah, to your to your question, we do have um, you know trackers and specific um, pieces of, of data that are that are always kind of letting us know where where in the process something is. And, and you use QR you print QR codes on the device itself, right or not? So, so some of it is QR codes. Some of it is uh, when they're being printed, they they just um, have like a little tab with a number on it, and that number um, you know essentially corresponds to um, something in the in the case management system that that essentially ties it to that. So. You know, it might not be the same piece of information, but mm -hmm. but it's it's all being tracked and, and kind of that marriage between two pieces of information is happening on our on our software. Well, also the other thing is like you're doing a lot of post processing. You're talking about this, like you know, actually actually like kind of uh, polishing these things. That mm -hmm. must be like a hugely intensive process, like in, in terms of labor, right? Yeah, yeah, it is, it is, and that's pretty much where most of the, um, you know, most, most of the time in terms of labor um, does get spent because, um, you know, that is something that, like I said, because the geometries, it can kind of um, vary in terms of, you know, some of these pieces need more, some of these pieces need less effort to, to polish and, and yeah, and that, that becomes, um, again, com comes down to more of an artisan, more of a, okay, well, you know, this, this is now where I want it to be, but that can depend from worker to worker. And that's, yeah, that's definitely, one of the most intensive parts, uh, both labor-wise and I think time-wise as well. Are you going to build that kind of stuff yourselves? Are you really looking for partners to do that kind of stuff to automate that kind of stuff? Or no. So if I mean, as as we're exploring that, that will be done by uh, by us as well. Because um, even on the subtractive side, you know, essentially our entire manufacturing line, um, we, we we've automated ourselves entirely. So so we've made the milling machines that are you know milling the zirconia. We've, we've made the the conveyor belts that transport from one end to the other. Um, you know we'll put together the robotic arms and yeah. So so that's that's all in house. And we have a great great automation team that's that's done some really interesting work. Of course, the problem is like it's kind of the same as the two D printing industry, like the book printing industry, or the mm -hmm. newspaper printing industry. You know, if there's a revolution, which happened with digital press as well, you know, and you buy, let's say, uh, let's say you buy a Heidelberg press, right? Mm -hmm. And you spend all your money, you go to the bank and stuff. And then a year or two years later, you're still paying that thing off for like 10 years. And two years later, I am going to buy a Indigo digital press and I'm going to outperform you. Then you get trapped in this kind of trap of, you know, loaning more and more money to the bank to build bigger and bigger presses, you know? Do you think that that's a way out of it by, 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 like, you know, building your own software and building your own automation tools that you could actually like really outcompete a lot of other labs? Yeah. So, I mean, th that's, that's one piece of it, but I think the other piece goes back to what you were saying earlier, Joris, but um, just the fact that we, we can now control the process. We can now have um, lower costs. We can now have the, um, you know, essentially we have the opportunity to, um, to commercialize some of this if, if it hasn't been done in the industry. Right. So, so that's kind of a really interesting way to innovate because um, we're the first customer and then we know that, um, you know, no one else in the industry has kind of attacked some of these problems. So it gives us the opportunity to, you know, to, to explore that as well. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of, it worked for Materialize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, 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 they seem to have done something quite similar. And then, so what, what kind of printers do you use? Did you mention DLP SLA or? Yeah, so primarily DLP SLA, um, um, most of our... Um, the you know whether it's dental models which are at least sacrificial and 
you know, not the final product or whether they're the kind of, uh, you know, night guards, which are the final product. Um, it's essentially mostly photopolymerization uh, technology. So, so we have um, pretty much everything from like American companies like uh, Sprint Train Form Labs to, to Australian, like the Asiga to, to some um, companies in Asia as well and mm-hmm. kind of all over the place. Yeah. I had, a, I had a client once and they wanted to do like a really extensive, <laughs> extensive kind of study on like the differences between DLP and SLA and all this mm-hmm. difference in the resolution and all this. And I said, no, no, it's really easy. If you are used to working with a bunch of guys desk side, you want DLP. If you're used to working at a factory with like big guys with things with swinging lights on it, you're going to go to the SLA and that's what you're going to end up doing. So we, we shouldn't do the study. <laughs> Let me save you some money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it got me paid less, I think. <laughs> good. Uh, but, uh, but is that like, so you guys seem to have opted from the more compact machines rather than going like with the SLA, the huge SLA uh, machines from three systems, for example. Yeah, yeah, and no, I think that's definitely the way we've done it. Um, you know, part of that is is because um, it, it's it's a it's much more um, risk averse way to to grow mm-hmm. capacity. But I think the other aspect of that is just you know with some of these printers, they're they're closed systems from the materials point of view. Some of them are open, and so having uh, you know the, the footprint of larger printers versus a few printers with a lot of volume, I think gives us that flexibility of um, you know well we can use a bunch of these for that are going to be running third-party materials. A bunch of these are going to be running our own materials, which we develop in-house. And then a bunch of these are going to be running essentially the only materials that they can run because they're closed systems. So I, th- I think that, you know, is a huge advantage um, from a flexibility point of view. Yeah, and you guys also, you just mentioned that you make your own materials. So you have like a you know chemist and stuff like that? Or? Yeah, yeah. So we, we have a, a, you know, a pretty advanced um, materials R&D lab. And you know, some of our materials we are currently using for production and are, you know, um, approved. Um, so whether they're dental model materials or kind of materials for, for some of the other products. And then I know in the coming year, coming months and years, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of a lot of materials that are planned for some of the products that you know we're, either we're making or even just competitive industry offerings because we realize that well we're using this you know um, mm-hmm. and we're using for production and uh, most of our most of our customers seem to love it so maybe maybe it's time for the rest of the industry to use it as well. If you do make the materials yourself, why would you then also opt for like kind of these more closed materials and these materials from other people? Some of that's based on kind of the the way the industry works. Like, so if, if a dentist, you know, it prefers a specific material, um, then that's that's kind of how it gets made. Um, you know, most often a dentist is is someone that has you know in depth knowledge about the the processes with which a device is made, the the materials, and and kind of which is better, which one they prefer. So, so a lot of that can be you know kind of down to, to personal preference. Okay, okay. So this yeah. is, you just want to cater to the customers. That's the idea. Yeah, exactly. So you know, it's it's not necessarily up to us to to make everything in one material or hundreds of materials, but um, it's also not entirely dictated by the uh, the dentist. So some dentists might be you know specific about what they want. Some of them are pretty much you know they just well I just need this device as long as it's a you know an approved material and it's going to do the job. It doesn't really matter to me. So it's kind of somewhere in the middle. Mm. What kind of volumes are you guys doing now on the additive side? The additive side, yeah. So, so I'd say including the, the sacrificial dental models, uh, mm-hmm. as well as the um, as well as the finished products, I'd say you know um, at least north of ten or twenty thousand per week. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a lot. That's quite a big number of parts, isn't it? Yeah. And but also the, these are not all in the same material, right? So these right. Are, these exactly. Are, yeah. Many different materials, <laughs> many different processes, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. These are these are across maybe six different materials for three different functions, maybe. So yeah. 
Mm-hmm. You guys That's profitable. <laughs> well, we're, we're a fifty-two-year-old company, and uh, you know we're still a private company. And um, uh, oh, yeah, all right. And, so you yeah, must and, be. And yeah. yeah, and we're still being run by our founder. So I mean, uh, recently we appointed a new CEO. Um, Who's who's also been with the company for for many many years, but but yeah, so founders very much uh, still st- still in, in the picture, yeah. Okay, okay, that's that's very good. And and I guess that your founder or your founders, I guess, would be very technical because like it's a different kind of. It has to be something psychological or kind of like about the philosophy of the company to really go and build all these machines and build your own entire kind of like a tooling, uh, including software and machines and materials and all that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, you're absolutely right, Joris. Um, you know, so, so the, our founder, he was a, a dental technician when he started off as well. Um, and you know, that's how he founded the company. But, but I think a lot of the, the, the culture for kind of innovation and vertical integration is, is bled down in the company from him. And, and I think that's, um, you know, that's something that any, any innovation in this company kind of, owes its DNA to, to, to his philosophies and, and kind of his leadership. So um, that's something that has been part of part of the identity and, and um, you know, also serving the, the end vision of, of being able to produce quality parts for our customers at, a, at, a, at an affordable price, but but also making sure that we're, we're kind of industry leading in what we do. I think, I think it sounds really good. It would also be mixed really well with that. But of course, you also see a lot of companies like that have a not invented here kind of syndrome where they kind of do stuff they spend mm-hmm. a lot of resources trying to invent things that, that maybe are best bought. You know, how do you make that determination? Like, you know, here we're going to like make this material and here we're going to just buy a printer from someone else, you know? I think for us, the um, the determination is is a lot easier to make because like I mentioned earlier, a lot of what's been innovated or invented here at Glidewell, we were the primary customer. So in, in that sense, you know, there's a lot less uncertainty about innovating because you don't really have to try to predict market demand or, you know, um, competitive factors. It's more of a, okay, well, if we were to do this, if we could even do this, would we use it? And what is like the benefit to to our current operations? And, and, you know, how does that affect us? And then, and, you know, that's, that's kind of really paid off because, yeah, it's just given us a lot of technology that, that we are now in a position to be able to commercialize, which, you know, we wouldn't have, uh, if we hadn't taken that approach. And and how do you see the future? So you you kind of kind of like you know kind of hint hint told us about maybe commercializing some of these products. And what's the future for Glidewell and, and 3D printing? Where where are you guys going to go? Let's say. Yeah, I mean, so future. I think um, in in general with the dental industry, you know, more and more of these um, these final end appliances that actually go into the patient's mouth are being printed. You know, that, that's that's really changed in the last few years, I'd say maybe three to five years. And, and a lot of that has to do with just the, the advancements in the materials. So, so you know, in terms of additive for Glidewell, the future is definitely better materials, you know, more more printing and, and kind of more, uh, more applications covered by additive where now the materials are at a point where it makes sense to switch to additive. But, you know, some of them, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's arguments to be made that just because you can print something doesn't mean necessarily you should. So I right. think, yeah, from, I think from a material standpoint, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of really good reasons now to move over into additive for other products as well. So, so that's, you know, th- that's definitely something that um, is on the cards. And, and I think in general for, for Glidewell, the, um, the, the additive vision is, is definitely to be able to, to have like an industry leading, you know, manufacturing uh, sp- just spine that's like a 
platform that's going to be able to, you know, coordinate with with all the different parts of our our manufacturing, our case management, our you know our data transfer, um, just just our resources and our processes. And I think that's it. It's that's kind of the the, the current vision right now. In SLA specifically in SLA DLP, it's been a really bunch of exciting years. Um, how do you see that developing? I mean, there's now new LCD technologies. There's larger machines. There's um, do, you, do you expect a lot from from you know bigger uh, you know machine builders and things in the coming years? Or yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely interesting. And you're right. You know, there has been a lot of um, there have been a lot of kind of advancements in, within the the last few years. I think um, the interesting ones are always you know whether it's it's a new machine that's suddenly a lot faster. Or it's a new machine that's suddenly a lot, you know, better in terms of quality. I think the, the most interesting is always when there's a reason for that improvement to exist. So now that it's faster, it can be used in this particular application. Or now that it's better, these products can now be used in this industry. I think you know, so much of that is is tied to, to specifically where this aspect of superior performance actually plays a part in um, you know, w- what is the business rationale for, for a technology like this. So I, I think it, w- with the speed uh, and the convenience, for sure, in, in DLP SLA, there's been a, a push toward um, you know, approaching the dentist and having a lot of printing done at point of care, essentially, in the dentist's office. And you know, a lot of the bigger companies are, are, have kind of developed smaller and more compact machines as well, just to cater to that market. So, so that's really interesting. Um, but I do think uh, just in general, some of the most, some of the things I'm most in, uh, interested about is, is the automation where, you know, there's a lot more compatibility with, with, with the printers and, you know, getting to a point where at least the execution of print jobs and, you know, handling the print bed, some of those tasks can kind of be handled um, by uh, robots or, or other non-humans. And then the other aspect that's um, obviously exciting is being able to have a little bit more maybe data or transparency into either getting machine level data or you know just being able to control or speak to the devices at the edge right from a from a manufacturing platform uh, from a software point of view I think that's that's really important because it can suddenly kind of unlock a lot of value uh, from either just from a process or or production point of view. But are you looking at like error reporting or like actual like you know vibration data or what 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 was it like or like what are you actually looking for then? Yeah, so I mean some of it is is obviously error reporting, um, but but also it's it's kind of focused on um, tying tying back the. I mean, uh, if a lot of our QC and inspection is done manually, then then we had that opportunity to be able to feed back data, right? So we say, okay, well, this is how that particular you know print went, and and it seems like five out of those six parts kind of didn't, weren't really up to the mark. So, so is there something that, you know, went wrong with that build or that printer? So some of it, like you said, is error reporting, but some of it's also maybe um, material consumption, making sure that, um, you, know, you know, the the estimates of the slicer or the printer are, are living up. Um, make Some of it is also um, just, I think, just the visualization aspect of it or uh, being able to communicate that, okay, well, this machine is currently not being utilized or, um, or you know, it is free up to, to be added to the queue. Um, just, just, just some of those basic MES functions, I think, is is like early stages, and then, of course, in in the future, you know, maybe some of those um, other machine level data, with whether it's vibration or it's actual, you know, voltages, regardless of whether they can be used or not. But um, yeah, it just that, that's a little more long term, I think. And you mentioned before that you were using like machine learning, like AI. And I know it's a huge buzzword. There's lots of people coming up with 
<laughs> with mm -hmm. tools for it i kind of like say like algorithm or you could just use the word smurf instead of it you know it's just like i have a right. smurf that makes it do it doesn't really actually in a lot of cases it doesn't really mean anything but for you guys it's like you know using this because it's an internal process you're using it's not because it's like a hypey cool thing but actually because it's, it's valuable to you or yeah 100 percent. i mean um essentially it's it's been able to um you know as a as a, as a dental lab that's been that's a 52 year old company we have a lot of data that that you know we 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 could utilize right just to be able to you know train um uh, networks and just be able to to come up with better ways of designing um you know whether it's just a crown or or whether it's like the entire device and so um you know we actually have deep neural networks that that are suggesting designs for crowns and bridges and and i, I like i said earlier a lot of those go directly from the, the suggested design stage into the manufacturing queue because because you know those designs are just plenty in terms of quality for for our process but um but but in terms of in terms of uh, you know using it to where the value comes in we're actually one of the first implementations of uh generatively adversarial networks um in in deep learning to to use that um you know essentially progressively get closer and closer to a solution so it's it's essentially the same technology that's used in deep fix um wh where i think the first um <laughs> production use case of of that technology <laughs> and that does the same thing or does that do something else or no it does the same thing it, it it's suggesting essentially going through the um it's analyzing the the geometry of where the, the patient's you know um tooth should be going it's analyzing geometry of nearby um surfaces that it might be in contact with it's it's um you know analyzing okay well if it's the bottom part of the arch versus the top of the arch it's it's different considerations and so based on that it's it's um you know it's, it's generating a design that's that's then going to be manufactured with by our zirconia but then if you need to then queue that file let's say the output of that file right the, mm -hmm. if you need to queue that on a printer does it actually always manually loaded on these printers or can you hook up your printers to that the, the different all these different printers you have to that network network as well or? yeah so that's so, a long-term goal <laughs> so so i mean the, the long-term goal is to be able to hook up all the printers to a single network and you know have like a, a source of truth or a source of control but um but right now we kind of have you know um a few groups of the similar printers that are being used for similar functions so so right now at least we have that level of um you know um ex execution per, per se so so at least we're able to run well if, if this particular production uh room has you know eight printers of the same same company and same make then then at least we have that network connectivity but but yeah the, the end goal is to be able to do it um regardless of where you're sitting does that mean that, that like if i'm like a closed like when you have, like you have in the FDM world, everything's open and it's a big riot, right? And then in SLA, it's, 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 it's closed from a, from a software perspective, definitely all, almost always, right? But do you see that the, the you, people have to open up their printers to, 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 if they really want to get serious about manufacturing or? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's such a good question because this is something I, you know, I, I've been kind of uh, pushing as much as possible for the last few years. Um, I, I'd say that some companies have proven that a closed system can be a viable business model, right? Mm -hmm. But but I think especially for for adopters like us, maybe uh, who are doing it kind of at scale, and we also don't just use one printer or you know one size or one type or one brand. I think there's there's a definite need for for some of that flexibility and and like just like the understanding between the hardware and the software. Where okay, like you know we need to be able to play with each other if if this is going to be used at 
at scale in industrial settings. I, I think that's that's hundred percent needed. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for your insight. This is a really, uh, I think dental is a really exciting area for 3D printing to actually like, you know, get, get, get things and get parts made and get parts made at scale. And thank you for just like explaining how you guys do that. That's really great. Yeah, no, it was, it was a pleasure. And in fact, I want to ask you, um, Joris and Max, did yeah. you have any, um, you know, specific things that about the dental industry or about some of these technologies that are, that are exciting to you guys specifically? It's always interesting to hear. So exciting to us. I mean, I think mm -hmm. any any kind of automation in SLA is really exciting because you have to understand, like, all right, I was at a meeting. I'm going to, like, not mention all the people at the meeting, but it's really funny. There were really, <laughs> uh, like, like you know, professors and people. And and right. the only thing, and uh, uh, it was a U.S. government kind of thing. And and the only thing we could all agree on was that SLA was a dead technology. And this was in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, SLA wow. is dead. Yeah, it's, it's like, it has no future, right? It, it, right? And then... And you know, okay, that was like super wrong, right? And uh, yeah, <laughs> oops, <laughs> you know. And um, and uh, we had Max on the show. Max showed us that you know, right. there's still some life to life in the in the old boy. <laughs> but, um, um, but so, you know, so in any time I hear that the stuff then takes away these critical points of this post production, specifically with SLA and stuff that, you know. And that can really make it a viable solution again for also not only what you guys are doing, but a lot of indirect stuff, a lot of casting, mm -hmm. lost wax casting and stuff like that. That's really exciting to me. And anytime we can automate this stupid thing about like, you know, orienting parts and making supports and 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 and, and putting in the tool path. So any kind of automation on the file part, I think is just really exciting as well. Yeah. I mean, personally. No, no, I totally agree. I, I mean, ideally... CAD to print shouldn't be done by a human. Like it shouldn't have to be like, yeah. it's just, it's just something that we don't do that when we print with, you know, 2D printers. So, right. I mean, yeah. So why would that be necessary? But yeah, I totally agree. How about yeah. you, Max? I mean, really it's, it's, I'm very impressed with the scale of it and the, the dental industry itself is kind of that primary example or anything medical of this nature where it's like, you do need it to be customized on a, right. a, a level, but to be able to, customize and produce lots of parts that are all completely individually unique, I think mm -hmm. is what's, it's actually very impressive to me because it's, uh, you know, uh, I have enough difficulty manufacturing the same thing a hundred thousand <laughs> times, <laughs> let, let alone, you know, making one thing and then making sure that it's good to go into someone's mouth um, and isn't going to cause some other problem. Um, so it, it really demonstrates to me how additive or even SLA can be used on this um, to be used on this scale is it's a great use case, I think, and a great proof point for how this technology can, can be asserted in the market effectively. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, that, that, that mix of, you know, hundred percent customized products every single time it, it, it makes it a necessity, not really um, a preference. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, it was, thank you so much for having me. Uh, if either of you are ever in the uh, Orange County, Southern California area, Please feel free to stop by. I'd love to show you guys around. Oh, oh that'd be you. amazing, dude. Yeah, that would be cool. That. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to do that. Hey, Max, thank you as well for being here today. Always a pleasure, Joy. Yeah. And thank you for listening. And this is another episode of the 3D Pod. Have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.